0: K Church called Mountaintop Moments. We look to the Old Testament and it can be confusing. There's long lists of names, there's strange words, and it's sometimes hard for us to piece together all the elements of the Old Testament. So we're saying, let's do a seven week overview of the Old Testament to try and see some highlights about what God is doing in the Old Testament, and we're calling it Mountaintop Moments because the way we're reviewing it is by mountaintops. God often communicates to us on mountaintops, even today. But We won't get into that, but in the past, you can look at mountaintops in the nation of Israel and see significant moments throughout Israel's history, and that's what we're doing. As I've shared in other weeks, this was inspired by um, the Walk Through the Bibles course, Old Testament Panoramic, and these are the mountains that we have, will see and have seen. Today's is Mount Nebo. So two weeks ago, or, or actually three weeks ago when we started, we went up Mount Moriah, It was Abraham and Isaac who went up Mount Moriah and we had this beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus when he would go up Mount Moriah one day and God the Father would see his son sacrificed. Then after that we traveled to the mountain of Mount Sinai which isn't on this map but it's just a little bit south off the screen. The people of God were enslaved in Egypt and God liberated them from their slavery in Egypt and there was tens of thousands of them You see, when they came into Egypt, there was only about 70 of them. But after hundreds of years, there were tens of thousands. And God liberated them from slavery and sent them off to their promised land. But they don't have... organized nation. They don't have laws. They don't have holidays and culture and things that they need. And so God says, take a pit stop at Mount Sinai. I'll meet you on Mount Sinai, and I'll give you a law and a way to live as the nation, as the people of God. And that's what we looked at two weeks ago, was the people of God hearing from God as Moses would go up Mount Sinai. So they hear the word of the Lord, the law. They travel from Sinai to the promised land. So there they are at the Jordan's shores, ready to go into the promised land. But before they do, they say, let's send in 12 spies. And these 12 spies can scout out the land to see what lies ahead of us. The 12 spies come back. 10 of them say, it's a no-go. We can't go in there. I don't care what God said. I don't care what God has promised. That land is full of giants and walled cities. There's no way. Two of the spies named Joshua and Caleb, they say, God can do anything. Did you not see what happened in Egypt? Did you not notice that we walked through the Red Sea on dry land? There's nothing God can't do. Let's go into the land. But the crowd wins. The masses are louder. And based upon this decision that the crowds have made, God gives them the consequences for not trusting in him. And the consequences are everyone who made this decision is now never going to enter into the promised land. So God tells them a generation is going to die as you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And once everyone who's voted on this decision dies, then I will bring your children into the promised land. And so what happens is after those 40 years of wandering in the desert spaces, they return to enter the promised land. The children that are now grown are ready to go into the promised land. And that, we find ourselves there in the plains of Moab at the base of Mount Nebo. And so as we look at the base of Mount Nebo, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3, is in the, or Deuteronomy, the book, is an account of a speech Moses gives. As they're in the plains of Moab, at the base of Mount Nebo, Moses gives them a speech. It's 34-chapter-long speech that Moses gives the people. It starts this way. It says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. And so the chapters of the book go on. By the time you get to the 34th chapter, the final chapter, Moses ascends Mount Nebo. And let's see what he sees from the top of Mount Nebo. Oh, shoot. I think there was a miscommunication at some point. That's, that's the wrong Mount Nebo, Mike. That one's, that's, there we go. Thank you. That was confusing. I understand. I should have been more clear. Um, Mount Nebo. If you were in Israel today, or technically in Jordan today, looking into the promised land, that's what you'd see. There's a couple of pictures from tourists who have posted them online of what the view looks like. If you were standing there today, you'd see that placard, and it would sort of highlight for you some of the things you're seeing off in the hazy distance. But to the left there, that blue area is the Dead Sea, and so Mount Nebo stands 4,000 feet above the Dead Sea which is actually only 2,600 feet above sea level because the Dead Sea is 1,400 feet below sea level. So it's a significant mountaintop in in the land. And from that mountaintop, Moses can see into the promised land. And so as he's standing there, this is the account from Deuteronomy chapter 34. It says this, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to your offspring." I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he, had, when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. What I want us to see this morning as the view from Mount Nebo, I want us to see three lessons. I want us to learn three lessons from Mount Nebo this morning. But before I can tackle the first lesson from Mount Nebo, we need to answer the question, why wasn't Moses allowed to go into the promised land? It almost sounds a bit cruel if you take it out of context. It says, um, see the land, but you're not going to go there. So we need some context. We need to understand, well, why, God, are you not allowing Moses to go on the promised land? It's been a 40-year journey. Let the guy go in. To answer that question, we have to go back to the book of Numbers The book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 to 13, tells us why he's being blocked from the promised land. This was during that 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And here's an account from Numbers, chapter 20. It says this, The people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went in from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. You shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water from out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So the first lesson I want us to learn here is that God can bless even through disobedience, but our sin has consequences. You see, God said to Moses, I want you to speak to the rock, and when you speak to the rock, water will come out. And Moses chose to disobey the words of God and hit the rock with his staff. So God can bless even through disobedience, but our sin has consequences. I don't know exactly how the scene played out, but in my imagination, in my holy imagination, and you have an imagination as well given to you by God, this is how I imagine the scene playing out. So they complain to Moses. Moses goes to God, and God and Moses have this conversation, right? And God says, this is what I want you to do. Speak to the rock. Water will come out. So Moses leaves the audience of God. God goes back to managing the whole universe. And Moses goes out to the people, and he says, we'll quote him. He says, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water out for you out of this rock? And at that moment, I imagine God being like, whoa, hold on a second. That wasn't what I said, Moses. I never said rebels. I didn't say for you to say that. And we? What's this we language? Can, can you define we for me, Moses? Because I'm pretty sure I'm bringing water out of the rock. And you and Aaron just threw yourself in the mix there. So we? So God's attention is now fixed on Moses. God, looking down from heaven, sees Moses do one of these. And God's up in heaven being like, oh, no, you don't. Moses swings that staff and hits the rock and nothing happens. I imagine Moses looks up to God and like, and I imagine God looks down at Moses and is like, and then Moses does this. And God's like, oh, don't do it. Moses swings that thing back. God only knows the expression on Moses' face at that moment. But I imagine God just doing one of these. And then doing this. And the water comes out abundantly. Abundantly. So even in disobedience, God can bring blessing. Now, I'm not saying God always blesses disobedience. I think we could turn to countless places in the Bible in which we are called to obey, and through our obedience, we receive blessing, okay? That's clear. But what we learn in this story is that God can bless even through disobedience. You see, too often we give ourselves too much credit We think to ourselves, oh, God, God could never use me. I'm so selfish. I've done so many wrong things. I've failed God in so many ways. He can't use me. Listen, God is bigger than your failures, and God is bigger than your sins. And you know what? God will do what God's going to do regardless of what you do because God doesn't actually need you because God is so much bigger than you. So don't live in your shame and don't take yourself out of the game and don't sideline yourself. Confess your sin and repent from your sin. Turn from your sin and follow God in obedience so that he can bless you as he would like. But we should not persist with shame and a spirit of defeat and woe is me and God can't use me because God is going to do what God is going to do give you just a personal illustration of this you know how each Sunday I stand up here and and I give a sermon and the church is full of kind people and so some of you will tell me oh that was very good thank you and you'll share what was meaningful to you and that I said something that you just needed to hear and how it helped you and I say thank you and praise God and then sometimes later in that day or maybe on Monday I'll have a moment of clarity and I'll look back Over the last 24 hours, and I'll be like, I don't understand. I hit the rock, and God still blessed them. And I can think back through and be like, that morning, I was rude to my wife, and I yelled at my kids, and I sped on the way to church, and I had a bad attitude at church, and during the songs, I didn't even pay any attention to the words that were coming out of my mouth. And then God blessed people through me? I wonder if Moses is processing that after he hits the rock the second time. When I'm in those moments, this is what I hear God saying to me, two things. I hear God saying, listen, I will bless people regardless of you. Don't give yourself so much credit, okay? I can speak through a donkey, and I can speak. I can make the rocks cry out if I want to. So listen, I'm going to speak. I'm going to bless people regardless of what you do. It's never been about you. It's always been about me. So I need to hear that sometimes to bring humility other when I'm in that space and I'm reminded that I hit the rock and he still blessed people, I also hear God say this to me in my ear. It's called grace. It's called grace, and I give it to you every day. So I appreciate that you are focusing on it now, but I gave you grace the Sunday before and the Sunday before and the Sunday before, and I gave you grace all day, Every day. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And so it's it's called grace. It's what we celebrate. This book here, one way to summarize it, is it's just a book full of accounts of human beings who have disobeyed God. And do you know what the centerpiece of this book is that we focus on, that we sing about, and we talk about every Sunday as we gather? It's that God sent his one and only son down to this earth to give us what we don't deserve and that is the forgiveness of our sins as Jesus, through his death, took all the punishment for our sins into his body as an infinite God, and then he died paying the penalty for our sins. And then from this point on, then he just pours out his grace on everyone. He says, you don't deserve it, but I'll forgive you. And you did it again, and I'm gonna forgive you again, and you did it again, and I'm gonna forgive you again. It's grace, and it just washes over us. And if you hear me say that, and if you hear the point of this sermon, and you think, oh, great, God can bless even through my disobedience. Then I can do whatever I want this week, and God will bless people. And you know what? That just might be true. But you know what kind of life you would live? You would be a total jerk. That is a total jerk move to say that because God has blessed me, I will now not bless him. If you want to live your life that way, then go and live it. But that is a lousy life to live. What God wants us to do is be so overwhelmed with his grace that he would give it to me again, that we have such hearts that are moved with gratitude, that he would forgive me again, that he would extend his grace to me again, that that transforms us, and we live lives that are just radically different than the people around us. Because we go out of here, ladies and gentlemen, and you go out into like cancel culture, you go out of here into a world that is marked by the idea that if I, I get what I earn... And I'll work, and based upon what I do, then people reward me for what I have done. And we go out of here with this context of saying like, oh, wow, you know how God changed my life? By giving me grace. I bet you I might be able to help change someone else's life if I give them grace. And then we shine brightly in the midst of darkness because we are living out a life that is very different than any other life that is being lived out there. It's grace. So what I want us to do at this point in the service is celebrate that grace. I want us to celebrate that grace through communion. And so if you didn't grab one of these and you want to, you're welcome to. They're still out there. But this is how we're going to celebrate his grace. We're going to remind ourselves through this cracker and through this juice, we are trying to follow the words of Jesus from 2,000 years ago. Where he says in Luke 22, and I'll, I'll turn there for you, as he's gathered with his disciples... In the upper room for the Last Supper, he says this, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in remembrance of Jesus, out of obedience to Jesus, we have this symbol. You've already seen the other symbol of our faith this morning, haven't you, in baptism? This is this other symbol of our faith that we're supposed to do so that we would remember the fact that Jesus' body was broken because of our sin and his blood was shed to pay the penalty for our sin and to usher into us into a new covenant of grace. He goes on to say, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, this covenant of grace. And so what I want us to do before we partake in these elements together is to just pause and I'll give you a moment of silence. And maybe you want to talk to God about some of your disobedience, but let's not dwell there too long. Let's just worship God in this moment of silence for the grace, because he has forgiven you for whatever that is. He is just waiting on you to receive that forgiveness and trust that it is true. I'll give you this moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that through his death, he paid the penalty for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you rose him from the dead, giving us the confidence that we can can have new life as well, that we too can rise. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for giving us this tool to remember you by, and we do this out of obedience to you, out of a spirit of gratitude. We eat this bread and drink this cup. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you'd like to open and pull out the bread, we can all partake together. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you, this is the new covenant in my blood. So with that act of remembrance, we celebrate his grace and we're reminded that he paid the penalty for our sins and he gives us his grace each and every day. God can bless us even through disobedience, but sin does have consequences. Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land. God still loves Moses. God still blesses Moses, but the consequence of Moses' choice is he doesn't enter the promised land. I don't know what your disobedience is. There's countless different versions of disobedience represented in this room. Maybe it's greed. It's hard to live in America today and not be touched with the sin of greed, the love of money, covetousness, materialism. If that's the sin that you wrestle with, listen, God can bless you. God can send his blessing through you as you wrestle with this sin. But there are consequences, to carrying on in that sin. I mean, the could, consequences could be that you're just drowning in debt. The consequence could be that you're just never happy because you always want more. The consequence could be that you live with some anxiety and insecurities around finance. Those consequences but doesn't mean that God can't use you. Maybe your disobedience is with lust. Maybe you have sexual disobedience. Well, as you wrestle with that sexual disobedience, God can still use you. God can still bless others through you, and he can even still bless you as you wrestle with that sexual disobedience. But that sexual disobedience has consequences. So many different ones. I won't make a list. But there are consequences. And so for Moses, it's that he won't enter the promised land. God can bless even through disobedience, but sin comes with consequences. We can prepare... Lesson number two. Here's lesson number two from Mount Nebo. We can prepare younger generations to go where we have never been. We can prepare younger generations to go where we have never been. So Moses learns he's not going into the promised land, and yet he continues to lead the people towards the promised land, until he gets to the plains of Moab at the base of Mount Nebo. And he is confronted with the fact that he has to prepare this next generation to go where he's never been. Now, let's try and put ourselves in Moses' shoes here, okay? And if you're Moses, we learned he's 120 years old. So if you feel an age gap between you and the next generation, Moses felt it more than you. I don't think there's anybody gathered in this room today north of 100, Okay. So, as much as you might feel an age gap between the next generation, no more so than Moses, and you got to do the math, okay? When they were first at the edge of the promised land, everyone who had a vote, right, they were 20 and over. So, it was the 20 and over were not allowed to enter. So, you've got 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So, if you do the math, there's a 60-year age gap between Moses and the oldest of the Israelites, except for Joshua and Caleb. So 60-year age gap Moses has between the next generation. And Moses has never been where they're going. He's never been in the promised land. He doesn't know what experiences await them. He doesn't know what it's like across the Jordan River. So there is this giant gap. He doesn't know so much. How can I relate to these people? I'm so much older. I, have so much, I know and have seen so much more than they have known, so much more than they have seen. I don't understand them, and they don't understand me. I mean, I don't know we even know what we have in common. Except we eat the same food, manna, all day, every day. But other than that. So what did he do? In spite of the age gap, in spite of his lack of knowledge, in spite of whatever self-doubt he may have had, he prepared the next generation to go where he had never been. How did he do that? Well, here's a great way to figure out how he did it. Read the book of Deuteronomy. We don't have time to read the book of Deuteronomy today. So I'm going to make some summaries from the book of Deuteronomy that will show us how Moses prepared the next generation to go to somewhere that he had never been. Here's one principle we see. He taught them the laws of God and he called them to obedience. That's what he does in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 1 to 2, he says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God of your fathers has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor shall you take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I have commanded you. So how do you lead a generation, the next generation, to go where you've never been before? Listen, you teach them the word of God and you tell them to obey it. He told them to integrate that faith into every area of their life, every part of their being, He says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you'll bind them as a sign on your hand, and you'll place them as frontlets between your eyes, and you'll write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. He's saying this isn't just a a once-a-week thing. So he calls them to obedience, and then he helps them see this is integrated. This is when we go out, when we come in, when we lie down, and when we get up. It's before our eyes. It's on the hands and the work that we do. We integrate our faith into every area of our life. How did he prepare the next generation to where he had never been? He grounded their identity in God as his treasured possession. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of these other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. Moses says, oh man, there's an age gap. Oh, there's so much I don't understand. Oh, I've seen so much more than they have. What could I do to help them? I know what I'll do. I'll remind them that they are God's treasured possession, that their identity is found in God, not in their great number and not in their great might, because he loved them when there was just a few of them. But lest they get self-righteous, he says uh, he kept them humble and dependent upon God. In Deuteronomy 9, 4-6, he says, do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, Do not say, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess this land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word of the Lord, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. So he says, you are God's treasured possession, but don't get a big head. You're stubborn. And this isn't happening because of your righteousness. It's happened because God loves you and he has chosen to pour his love out upon you. And then finally, he encouraged them to be strong and courageous. Deuteronomy 31, six: be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. Moses prepared the next generation to go where he had never been, and you're called to do the same, and I'm called to do the same. And there's an age gap. For me, it's like a 30-year age gap as I think about my 12-year-old. So the world's changed so much in 30 years. Like my kids are growing up in a world that it was not like mine. Access to the internet, screens everywhere. The world is changing so incredibly rapidly. And it's so easy for me and for you, and some of you are older than I am, to look and say like, well, there's just, we don't connect, there's just, I don't know, I, I feel ill-equipped, I just can't. And, the, and who knows what the world's gonna look like in 30 years? How can I prepare my kids for what the world's going to be like in 30 years? The technology that will be around in 30 years, I can't even fathom. How can I prepare them to go somewhere I've never been? Here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I want you to do for my kids and for the other younger generations of this church. And if you're a younger generation of this church, then there's somebody behind you. And there's people ahead of us. So we should all have a spirit to learn from one another and to receive some of these things from one another. But listen, this is what we do. We tell the next generation who they are. We give them their identity that is in Christ. Tell the next generation that God loves them and that they are his treasured possession and not because of their grades and not because of their sports, but because God created them and he chose to pour his love out on them. Let them know who they are in Christ. Give them an identity that's founded in God and then show them where they can belong give them community and invite them here with us because we are the family of God and it's not just something we do on Sunday we integrate it into every area of our life we we, we do it in our minds and we do it with our hands through our work and we put it on the doorpost and so when we come in and we go out we integrate it everywhere when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night all of our lives so we invite them into an identity in Christ and then we tell them you belong here with us wherever we go we are a family a community together and then thirdly we call them to live their lives with a purpose with a mission that requires strength and courage we don't invite them into some purpose that requires no strength and courage some watered down thing about all the great things that's going to happen to them in their life that requires no strength and courage we challenge them to live out their faith in such a way that it requires strength and courage. Just for clarity, we don't call them to go out of here and, like, take the land and kill other people. And, right, that was the Crusades. We missed that target a 1,000 years ago. We encourage them to live as exiles in the midst of Babylon. We say it's hard to be a Christian in the world today, isn't it? It's hard to give love. It's hard to receive judgment and respond with grace, isn't it? It's hard to love your enemies. It's hard to do good to those who hurt you, isn't it? And so we challenge them. We say, the only way you're going to be able to live that way is if you have the strength and the courage that comes from God. So we give them an identity. We tell them where they belong. And then we call them to live their life with purpose on mission. And God will give them the strength and the courage they're will He will go with them as they go. So we can, and we must... Lead the next generation to a place that we have never been before. That's the second lesson. The third lesson from Mount Nebo is very short. It's very brief. Sometimes God blesses us with a moment when our faith is given sight. Moses goes to the top of Nebo. God doesn't owe this to Moses. The consequence of Moses' actions is he doesn't go in. So this is God's grace. Out of God's grace, he says, Moses, join me on Mount Nebo. Come on up. I want you to see where I'm going. I want you to see where these people are going to go. This isn't judgment. This is grace. Sometimes God blesses us with a moment when our faith is given sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. But in this moment, God says, I'm going to give you a little sight. So look out there and see where we're going. He's rewarding Moses' faith. and It's a beautiful moment for Moses as he goes from there into eternity Have you ever had a moment like that? A moment where God says, I'm just, I'm going to give you a glimpse. I'm just going to give you a glimpse about what's going on, where we're headed. And you stand on Mount Nebo and you see and the clouds part and you're like, oh, it's tremendous. I feel like that's what this Sunday is. This Sunday is a moment like that where God lets us just see... Church, this is what I'm doing. I know it can feel discouraging, but I just want you to just catch a glimpse of what I'm doing. You know, I know you've got all these opinions about the next generation, but I want you to meet Lydia, and I want you to meet Sam, and I want you to know that I'm working, even when you can't see what I'm doing, and I want you to know where I'm going. And you know, I want you to know that you can have faith and hope and courage now that you just can catch a glimpse. Because I'm not just doing it with Lydia and Sam. I'm doing it right now with people in this room. There's people in this room that haven't quite clicked yet. But when they're ready, they'll sense my hands on their shoulders, and they'll come. And hopefully, this can be a space where they can find that they belong. And they can find their identity in Christ and they can be called to live out a great mission for him.